here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. It's Jesus who is the head of the church. And we want to submit ourselves to His leadership, to His headship. If we court the favor of men, we'll lose the favor of God. In the attempt to be culturally relevant, we may disenfranchise ourselves from heaven's favor. As human beings, we are constantly looking for approval. We have egos that we feel we need validated, and typically we will look to other humans to fulfill that. We measure ourselves by others, and in that end we are left feeling unsatisfied and empty. The only one we should be looking for approval from is God. As Pastor Ed reminds us in today's message, God's standard is the yardstick we should be using, not what other people say or do. God's purpose is all that matters. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message entitled, Spiritual House Cleaning. We're going to be studying from the Gospel of St. John, the second chapter. Turn in our Bibles to John chapter 2. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the English Standard Version. The Gospel of St. John, the second chapter. In John chapter 2, we see Jesus bringing joy to a home. A marriage feast was going on and they ran out of wine. And Jesus turned water into wine because that was a great travesty, great tragedy, not to be able to serve your guest. So he brought joy to a family. But he's now going to bring sorrow to a nation. Jerusalem is the center of religious life. It's the center of the nation. And he has some very harsh words and harsh actions when he comes to the temple. But all of Jesus' actions are sermons. He lives out the scripture. And his life is a demonstration of truth. John's Gospel, the second chapter, beginning to read with verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. And the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. 
When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust him to them because he knew all people. He needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Strange. People believed, but Jesus wouldn't commit himself to them. Hmm. Why? As we focus on the sermon, make it your prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. The title of the message this morning is Spiritual House Cleaning. It's amazing how quickly the garage gets cluttered. The basement gets filled with things. It seems like you clean the house, and in just a few days, where did those socks come from? Where did those papers come from? And already, you need the clean again. Now, that's a lot like our lives. Very easily, things seem to clutter our lives. And we need to do some spiritual house cleaning. Uh, That's what Jesus is doing. That's what happens in this portion of scripture. You read the epistles of Jesus to the church. Well, that's found in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where the risen Lord from heaven dictates to John messages to seven churches. And they deal with house cleaning, things that must change. This Lenten season is a time where we have introspection, where we talk to God about our lives and we allow him to search our hearts. And our cry is, change me, O God. Change my heart. That's what Jesus is going to do when he goes to Jerusalem. He's going to go and look at the temple and see things that need to be changed. The synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, put a cleansing of the temple at the end of Jesus' ministry in the last week of his life. In his triumphal entry, when he goes to Jerusalem, he cleanses the temple. John doesn't record it there, but records it in the second chapter at the beginning. I believe there were two cleansings, one at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and one at the end. One when Jesus began his public ministry and one when he concluded his public ministry. It was like bookmarks that describe the ministry and the work of Christ. If Jesus were to sit down with you and me, and look at our hearts and our lives, what would he change? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Jesus comes into the temple and he's going to change things. But you know, we're like everyone else. Everyone thinks 
of changing humanity. And nobody thinks of changing himself. It's so easy for us to see the flaws, the problems, in the people in the other pew, or in front of us, or in back of us, or around us. But to look within, that's much harder, much more difficult. But that's what I'm going to ask you to do during this sermon. It's me, O Lord, it's me, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother, not my sister. It's me, O Lord. Let that be the focus. If Jesus were to come into our church, what would he change? You see this cleansing of God's house. In verse 17, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Right away, the disciples see Jesus doing something and their minds go back to scripture. It triggers off in their mind the word of God. Jesus lived out the scriptures. His life was the Bible in action. The word was a lamp unto his feet, a light unto his way. His steps were ordered in God's words. So as soon as Jesus began to cleanse the house, their minds went back to a messianic psalm, Psalm 69, verse 9, where it says, zeal for your house consumes me. There was a passion for God's house burning in his heart. There was a spiritual fervor burning for the house of God. The Messiah wasn't just taking authority out of a hat, out of the air, but it was a delegated authority that the Father had given him. The Father had commissioned Jesus to purify the house of God. Uh, Some people take an authority onto themselves and become an authority onto themselves. They have the gift and ministry of criticism. I don't find it in the scripture, but nevertheless they have it. Uh, Jesus was not moving in the flesh, but he was moving in the spirit, directed by God the Father. And there was an authority that he came with to cleanse the house of God. It wasn't that he was an opinionated person. Some people are opinionated people. They have an opinion on everything. Now, he was under heaven's authority. He was exerting the Father's mandate Look at the authority of Jesus. In verse 16, then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. The church doesn't belong to the pastors. And it doesn't belong to the deacons. And it doesn't belong to the congregants. It belongs to Jesus. It's not man's standards, but God's standards that we are to govern the house of God by. It's not human preferences, but scriptural precepts that guide us in how we are to behave in the house of the Lord and how we are to function. 
I don't know if you read about recently in the state of Connecticut how some legislators wanted to pass some laws to change the governance structure of the Catholic Church. They were Catholics, mind you, these legislatures, but they didn't like the church's stance on gay marriages. They didn't like the church's stance on abortion issues. They didn't like the church's stance on morality. And so they wanted to change the form of governance instead of bishops and other hierarchy being in charge of the church. They themselves wanted to be in charge of the church. You know, it's Jesus who is the head of the church. And we want to submit ourselves to his leadership, to his headship. If we court the favor of men, we'll lose the favor of God. In the attempt to be culturally relevant, we may disenfranchise ourselves from heaven's favor. We have to be careful that what we do matches up with the word of God. And Jesus came with that type of authority in his epistles to the church. Jesus spoke pointedly. In the book of Revelation, you see Jesus in chapter 1, verse 13, walking in the midst of the seven lampstands. Those seven lampstands represent the churches in Asia Minor, the seven churches. Jesus would walk among those lampstands. He would trim the lamps. He would supply it with oil. He would oversee those lampstands. Jesus walks in the midst of his church and we say to him, Lord, have your way. This is your house. If Jesus were to come and visit this place, what would concern him? What would he be concerned with? He has the authority. It's his authority. I believe that he would look at wrong doctrines and wrong lifestyles. He would look at the church and say, do you condone what I condemn? Do you approve what God disapproves? Are you endeavoring so to fit into the culture that you have lost your distinctiveness? Uh, When Christ comes, we should have an obedient heart and say, like Samuel of old, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church again and again in the book of Revelation that's repeated seven times to the various churches, the seven churches. Often uh, we picture Jesus only as meek and mild, a comforter, someone who makes us feel good about ourselves, good about everything, we don't portray Jesus the way the Bible does. Yes, it portrays him as a lamb of God. Yes, he is meek. But he also is a lion of the tribe of Judah. He also has anger, and yet he doesn't sin. Just like Paul says, be angry and sin not. Jesus becomes angry. You could see his anger. In Mark chapter 3, verse Five, it says he looked around at them in anger and was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts 
In John chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, he goes into the temple courts. He finds people selling things. Now, they're in the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. That's the only place that the Gentiles could worship. There was another court, the court of the women. Then there was another court where the men would go in and they would worship. In this large outer court, they had moved from the Mount of Olives the business of changing Roman money into Jewish money and of course there was an interest paid on that. They had moved the sale of the sacrifices because you had to come to the temple and offer a sacrifice that was unblemished, that was pure. And they moved it all into the temple courts for a matter of convenience and I am sure as biblical scholars point out that the priestly class made some money on that as they rented out space, franchises, they began the profit. And there was so much noise, so much distraction, that a Gentile would find it very difficult to come in and worship and commune with God at this high and holy feast of Passover where there were approximately two and a half million people in the city at that time. Crowded in for this festive season. Jesus was greatly troubled and he became angry. If Jesus came in and he looked at us and he said, I want you to appreciate and value one another and even the different forms of worship because they're worshiping me. I think that's one of the things that Jesus would change about this house of worship. In Revelation, you see Jesus speak to the churches. Listen to his words. There's a cutting edge to it. There's a holy anger to it. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And that was a message to the church of Ephesus. This was a wrong doctrine, a wrong teaching in the church. Jesus said, I'm glad you hate it, because I hate it too. You can tell a lot about a person by the things he loves or she loves. You can tell a lot about a person by the things they hate. We need to hate certain things. Because if you can't hate, you really don't love. It's the other side of the coin. The church of Smyrna. Now I know, please, don't send me an email on this one. I know I'm going to rattle some cages. But I know I'm right. And I'm not saying it arrogantly. Revelation 2.9 I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Hold on, track with me. Jesus called the Jewish people who persecuted believers in Asia Minor and slandered them the synagogue of Satan. Stop, pause, camp, think. Do you think that heaven approves 
of everything that the Jewish nation does. Kai is a part of our congregation. He grew up in Bethlehem with Agmar, his wife. When Israel was formed as a nation, they went in and they took a lot of Palestinians out with no regards for their family, no regards for their feelings, and just persecuted them. Kyle is a Christian. Dagmar is a Christian. They have a home in Bethlehem they can't get into. I had another congregation whose family, another member who was in another church, he was an Arab and he was a Christian. And when the Jewish occupancy came in, they persecuted, they beat up Arabs and they were believers. Amos, come on out of the Old Testament, Amos. Do you approve that? Jeremiah, what do you have to say about that? Isaiah, Jesus, we should not give blanket support to things that are wrong. I know it's not popular. Now, I believe Israel has a right to be a nation. And I believe we ought to pray for that and support that. But it doesn't mean everything they do is right. Don't you think that the Heavenly Father may be disciplining them? Do you know the highest percentage of atheists in any nation is Israel? When I was in Israel, at the time, I had a Jewish guide, he was very good. This was years ago. At that very time, I met with Christian Messianic Jews who were being persecuted by Jews around them. Messianic congregations that were being attacked and they were being persecuted. And my Jewish guy told me this. I said, why are you, and I shocked him when I said this, why are you so anti-Semitic? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, nobody loves the Jewish nation more than Messianic Jews, and yet you persecute them, yet they're not allowed to vote. He said, well, we consider them like Benedict Arnold. If you accept Christ, you're a traitor to the Jewish nation. What would Jesus say? Now, I know we don't want to think. I don't say that proudly or arrogantly. But we have to think and read and understand what the scriptures really teach. Yes, God has brought the nation of Israel back and they're a tremendous time clock for prophecy. And we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But we also need to understand something else. That God in heaven sees perfectly. And Jesus himself, when he spoke to the church, he said, yeah, they're of the synagogue, but of Satan. Well, the church of Pergamon, verse 14, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrificed to idols, by committing sexual immorality. Balaam was a prophet who wanted to bring down judgment on Israel during their time in the 40 years of the wilderness. But he couldn't curse them because God had blessed them. 
If you're listening today and you've recently placed your faith in Jesus, this has been a perfect message for you. The Gospel of John is one of the very best places in the whole of the Bible for new believers to begin studying. And it's not just for new believers either. For those of us who have walked with Jesus for some time, it's always a wonderful reminder of who we're following. You've been listening to Voice of Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now we want to encourage you to log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. There you'll find today's message. The only thing you need to remember is today's date. Again, to stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Voice of Faith and to access an archive of messages, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com. Or if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Voice of Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say thank you for joining us and come back next time for another edition of Voice of Faith.